is found in Psalm 119. That first section of the psalm. We'll read the first uh, two sections. We'll read through verse 16. Our text is the first eight verses. I won't reread those, but I'll refer to those verses throughout the sermon. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the righteous all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. That far we read and God's holy inspired word. May God bless that word to our hearts. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, are you undefiled in the way? Can you say about yourself that you walk in the law of the Lord? Can you say, I keep God's testimonies and I seek him with the whole heart? And I ask myself the same questions. Those who are truly blessed do those things. 
I don't say that we do them perfectly, but we do have a beginning. We have a small beginning, but it is a real beginning so that we do those things that David describes in this psalm. And then we can ask ourselves more particular questions as we examine ourselves. We may ask, am I undefiled in my attitudes towards my fellow saints, my brothers and sisters in the church? Am I one who walks in the law of the Lord when it comes to how I spend my time? Am I one who has such a regard for God's law that it directs what I look at on the internet? Do I have such a desire for God that I want to walk in his ways? As we look forward to partaking of the Lord's Supper, God calls you and me to examine ourselves. And when we examine ourselves, we ought to see that we are sinners. We ought to see our sins and our sinfulness. We ought to see where we fall short. And we must know that God's anger burns against sin. But we also ought to see that God has provided the perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. When we examine ourselves, not only must we see that we are sinners, but we must see that God has provided a sacrifice to cover over the guilt of our sins. And by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he has earned for us the blessings of walking in his ways. When we examine ourselves, not only must we see our sins and the salvation in Jesus Christ, we ought to see that it is our desire to walk in thankfulness for all that God has done for us. David, when he writes this psalm, writes it as a pilgrim. He recognizes that as a pilgrim passing through this valley of tears, he cannot walk the blessed pathway of God's children without God's grace. So he writes this psalm, which is his prayer to God. Psalm 119 is not just many verses about God's law and God's word and God's testimonies, although it contains many mentions of that. But Psalm 119 is David's prayer to God. He wants God to direct him in the pathway that God himself has set 
him on. And David lets us listen in, as it were, to this inspired prayer, the prayer of the child of God. As we examine ourselves for the Lord's Supper, we could essentially ask this one question. Has God placed me on that blessed way of God's children? Is that evident in my life? Then all the other things. Then we will see our sins and sinfulness. Then we will see the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we will see also the thankfulness that God has worked in our hearts. Do I walk on that blessed way? So let's consider the psalm, this section of the psalm, verses 1 through 8, under that theme, the blessed way of God's children. Let's note in the first place that it is a blessed gift that God has placed us on that pathway is a gift of God's grace. Then in the second place, the psalmist in his prayer is uttering a blessed prayer. God himself gives David the blessedness to utter the prayer of our text. And lastly, that prayer is brought forth out of a blessed desire to walk in those ways and to give God the praise. The blessed way of God's children. One of the truths, beloved, that come out throughout this psalm and that we ought to see also in ourselves is that we are undeserving sinners. David does not come to God in this psalm and say to God, I have earned thy blessing. He doesn't come to God and put forward any merit because he has no merit. But rather he sees himself as an undeserving sinner. We are beggars before God. That's how David sees himself, and that's what we ought to see of ourselves as we examine ourselves. Sinners who nevertheless have been blessed. The very first word in the Hebrew also happens to be the very first word in our English. That's not always the case. But the very first word in the Hebrew of the whole psalm is that word blessed. David sees himself as blessed. And so he says, mentions that blessedness a couple times. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, and blessed are they that keep his testimonies. That idea of blessed 
in the Hebrew has and carries the idea of happiness and bliss. But what does that happiness and bliss consist of? What is it that gives David his happiness? Does it consist in some earthly pleasure? Does it consist in, if we put it in modern times, having a sports team that has a winning record? Does our happiness consist in having health in our bodies? Does it consist in having a large property with a beautiful house and a nice car? Does our happiness consist in our outward circumstances? Maybe the world would answer that with all kinds of bumper stickers. Happiness is. And fill in whatever blank. Happiness does not consist in our outward circumstances. In what does our happiness consist? In what does David's happiness, his blessedness, true and lasting happiness, in what does it consist? And it is this that God has graciously taken him and placed him on the pathway of blessedness, on the pathway that leads to glory, that pathway that we heard about this morning. That happiness consists in belonging to our faithful Savior who purchased us with his precious blood by satisfying God's justice on the cross. Our happiness consists in belonging to our faithful Savior, body and soul, in life and in death. That's why. Well, that's the happiness that David is speaking of, and that's the idea that we find throughout scripture. One example, Deuteronomy 33, verse 29, we read, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee? O people saved by the Lord. That word happy art thou, that's the same word that's in our text, blessed. We who are saved by the Lord. And that blessedness becomes all the more precious when we consider that by nature we deserve to be cursed. When we consider our misery apart from grace, when we see our fallenness in Adam, 
God placed Adam in the garden, put him in a blessed estate, gave him the whole garden, set him over the garden with his wife to care and tend for it, and gave them everything they needed so that they could fellowship with God, so that they could walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. God gave them everything. And at the instigation of the devil, they threw it all away. They raised their fists, as it were, in God's face and said, we will be the friends of the devil. We don't need you anymore. That was essentially treachery against God, turning against God in rebellion. And now, because we are born in the line of Adam, because everybody in the whole human race has come forth from Adam by nature, we deserve the same curse that Adam deserved. We deserve to be cast out of God's presence into outer darkness. We deserve that curse. But God has blessed us not for anything in ourselves. When in Adam we rejected him, God in his grace came to them and made that promise, the promise of Jesus Christ. And on the basis of that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God now calls us into that blessed state calls us into covenant fellowship with himself and so sets us on that pathway that leads to glory. And not only does he set us on that pathway, but he holds us on that pathway. It's not as if God saves us and now says, well, you have to walk the rest of that pathway in your own strength. Not at all. But he preserves us in that blessed pathway on which he has graciously placed us. That's the blessedness that David is speaking of, the blessedness of salvation. And as we examine ourselves, we ought to come to the firm conviction that this blessedness is ours. How will we know? How do we know that this blessedness of which David speaks, and I'm saying David although the psalmist, we're not absolutely certain it was David, the psalmist. How do we know? Like the psalmist knew that we have that blessedness. And the answer is 
God enlightens us by his spirit so that we also see the evidence of that blessedness. Those who are blessed are described in our text. In the first place, the psalmist describes those who are undefiled in the way. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. And the idea of being undefiled has the basic idea of being complete. Being undefiled, you could use the idea of healthfulness or integrity. Those who are undefiled in the way are those who have been placed on the right way. Well, according to the parallel, the Hebrew parallelism, the first part of the verse is explained by the second part of the verse, so you have two parallel thoughts. According to the parallel, blessed are the undefiled in the way. Well, who are the undefiled in the way? Who have been placed on the right way? Well, it's those who walk in the law of the Lord. They walk in the law of the Lord. That is to say, they conduct themselves in the light of God's word, shining that light upon their pathway, They conduct themselves in conformity to God's law. I don't say again perfectly, but they do. In their walk of life, they take heed to the way that they live. They take heed to God's instruction and say to themselves, how does God want me to live? How does God want me to act in this particular circumstance? How does God want me to respond when this person speaks about me in that way? How does God want me to respond in all the different circumstances of life? They regard their walk in light of God's word as a walk of thankfulness. They want to walk in that way. They exert a holy care to walk according to God's law. Is that our desire, beloved, as we examine ourselves? Is it our desire to live our lives according to God's word, or does God's word means nothing to us at all. Do we say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, that would be the opposite of the psalmist. Those who are blessed by God are undefiled in the way. They have been set on the right way so that we exert ourselves to walk in the law of the Lord. But the psalmist goes on. In verse 2, he says, 
Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. And the idea of testimonies is God's explicit word, God's explicit witness. And now we can take that in a broad sense, God's testimony, his explicit witness concerning ourselves as we are by nature. God, what does God say about what we are by nature? God, in his explicit witness, tells us about our sins and our sinfulness. God's explicit witness tells us that the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ. The only way of our salvation is to have a substitute to take God's curse upon himself so that we might be blessed. God's explicit witness tells us of the way of thankfulness. Not a way in which we have to walk to earn God's blessing, but a way that we want to walk because we are thankful to God for his gracious salvation. And now to keep. The psalmist talks about keeping those testimonies and the idea of keeping as in keeping the sheep is to have a regard for, to ponder them, to practice them, those testimonies, to have a high regard for the testimonies that God gives us in his word from cover to cover, taking this as the word of God himself. Together with that, David in verse 2, the psalmist in verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. And now the parallel phrase, and that seek him with the whole heart. They seek him. That is to say they follow after him. They ask him to lead us to a greater knowledge of himself. And now you understand, the psalmist is not saying who seek him outwardly with simply outward motions. It's not just going through a certain formal worship. The psalmist is not interested in mere externals. But it must come from the heart. Who seek him with the heart. Who want to draw nigh unto God with the heart. And not just part of our hearts, the psalmist says, that seek him with the whole heart. And the idea of the whole heart, again, is not perfectly, but the idea is 
not just a service of God in one department and then leaving all these other departments where we don't serve God. We hold in our heart well somebody who says, I'll go to church twice and I'll put my money in the budget. I'll serve him on Sunday, but don't ask me to serve him on Monday through Saturday. That's not with the whole heart. With the whole heart, gives God, gives to God every department. Not just giving my money to him, but giving myself to serve him. Not just loving my friendly neighbor because I can get something back from him, but loving even my enemy because God calls me to. God wants us to serve him with a whole heart, that is, without hypocrisy. That is, not being a hypocrite, not just going through the outward motions. When we read that, beloved, we might be tempted to think, how in the world can David speak that way? Or how in the world can the psalmist, if it's someone else, how in the world can they speak that way? We might even be tempted to think that the psalmist is a perfectionist. How can he speak about being undefiled in the way? Doesn't he know, doesn't he realize that we have, we have the old man of sin yet clinging to us? Doesn't he know that our way is defiled by all kinds of sins, evil motives, even in the best works? But the truth is, all who have been brought into fellowship with God, who have been paid for by the blood of Christ and regenerated by the Spirit of Christ and given faith are described by our text. And what we ought to understand, again, is not that we do these things perfectly, but that we do them to a degree. That's the truth of the small beginning that we have. We do begin by God's grace, not only to keep some of the commandments, but all of the commandments. We do begin by God's grace. For example, in verse one, to walk in the law of the Lord. We do begin by God's grace, verse two, to keep his testimonies and seek him with a whole heart. By God's grace, we walk in his ways. But if we take the other possibility, someone says, no, there is no one that is undefiled in the way. If we took that route, we would be saying, there is no one who is blessed. Because the psalmist describes the life 
of that one who has been blessed. And that would slight the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who has given to us life, who has given to us faith, who has set us on that pathway. We would be slighting the work of the Holy Spirit and say the Holy Spirit doesn't do that work. But the testimony of Scripture, beloved, is that he does do that work. He works in us so that we do begin to walk in that blessed way. Because he has given to us the inheritance, he will give us the blessings of that inheritance. We enjoy that to a degree. We enjoy that blessedness. But David understands, or the psalmist understands, that he still falls far short. And that's in this section too. It's throughout the psalm, but it's found in this section as well. The psalmist understands that he is not completely undefiled in the way. He knows that he doesn't walk in the law of the Lord with his whole heart, with the zeal that he ought to have. He knows that he falls short in keeping God's testimonies and seeking after him and knowing that, what does he say? Verse 4 of the text, he says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. God's precepts are his particular instructions. God places by those instructions, places upon us weighty responsibilities. And God, the psalmist knows, God tells us to keep those precepts diligently. Can we really do that? Keep his precepts diligently in our own strength? The psalmist understands that he cannot. And it's as if that law of God is ringing in his ears. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. And how does he respond to that? When he sees he falls short, look at the very next verse. In light of what he just said, he goes on to say, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. He knows his inability to do it in his own strength. And so he expresses that desire, oh, that my ways were directed and notice who the psalmist is talking to. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. He prays to God. 
because he understands he has only a small beginning, he prays to God for help. Lord God, that is my plea. I cannot follow thee in my own strength and in my own wisdom. But if thou wilt direct me in those ways, then I will walk in those ways. David, or the psalmist, wants to walk in those ways and have a greater and greater regard. He doesn't say, well, I have a small beginning. That's all that matters. But he prays to God that God would direct him more and more to walk in those paths that are the paths of righteousness. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Is that your be desire, beloved? Is that my desire that God would direct us in his statutes? That was David's desire, or the psalmist's desire. That's the prayer of someone who has been blessed by God. David, throughout the psalm, and if you look and read through this psalm, you'll find almost in every section he mentions the wicked. And he makes a great contrast between himself and the wicked. And the truth of the matter is the wicked, reprobate, would never have that desire. The wicked have no desire at all. They don't say to themselves, oh, if I could frame my life according to God's commandments. They don't want to live their lives pleasing to God. How can I direct my way? How can I live in a way that is pleasing to God? They don't care about that. They don't care about living to the glory of God. Not at all. The wicked... If you ask the wicked about blessedness, about happiness, they will say, or at least think in their hearts, maybe something along these lines, blessed is the man who does what is right in his own eyes. Blessed is the man who gets his own will. Blessed is the man who lives for himself. One of the creeds of Satan worshipers is do what thou wilt. Do what you want. Have it your way. That's not the attitude of the psalmist. The wicked reprobate would not have that attitude. Not in their hearts. They may express it outwardly and be hypocrites about it, but inwardly they do not have that desire in their hearts. How different from the child of God. 
when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and gives to us the life of Christ, unites us with Christ. He gives us covenant blessings. He causes us to experience that fellowship with God, gives us to see our blessed estate. And then we say, by that work of grace, we say, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. That's the prayer of the psalmist who wants God to give him grace that he may walk in those ways. Well, such a prayer, beloved, is a prayer that God himself has given the grace so that he would utter that prayer. God himself blessed him with that prayer. But whoever God blesses with that desire to make that prayer, well, in back of that prayer is the desire. And that's the blessed desire of the psalmist as well. Such a prayer expresses a blessed desire to fellowship with God. And now I use the language that our canons uses in the fifth article, the fifth head and then the fifth article. David understood, the psalmist understood that sins... Grieve the spirit of God. The psalmist understood that great sins will offend God and bring deadly guilt upon ourselves. The psalmist understood that sins interrupt the exercise of our faith, says the canons and wound our consciences. The psalmist understood that at times even, we might lose the sense of God's favor until God brings us to the way of repentance. Psalm 119 is not about someone who hates God's ways and who wants to be far away from God. That's not the desire of the psalmist. The psalmist is someone who loves God. And because he loves God, he loves God's law. Because he knew that Walking with God is also walking in God's ways. As it stood, David was ashamed of himself. And we are ashamed of ourselves many times when we see how far we fall short. 
But then he also knows if God will be gracious, then he would not carry that shame anymore. Notice what he says in verse 6. First, he, he makes the prayer to God, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. And then notice verse 6. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. If thou wilt work in me by thy grace and direct me along that way, then I will not be ashamed in thy presence is the idea. And as we examine ourselves, beloved, we should see that, yes, I fall short. We fall short of God's ways. And then our calling is not to carry on in those sins, but to repent of all sins that we know of and to cry to God for mercy. Why do we desire to walk in God's ways? There is certainly a benefit. We may walk in God's ways because we will experience certain benefits in that way, but that's not the main idea that the psalmist brings out. Why does he want to walk in God's ways? Notice what he says. In verse 7, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. When God, by his grace, teaches the psalmist his righteous judgments, when God directs him in the way, what will the psalmist do? He says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. The psalmist wants to live in thankfulness. The psalmist wants to live so that God's name is praised. That was his sincere desire to live. To the glory of God. And now his resolution. He wants to live to the praise of God's name, and you'll find that again throughout the psalm. But then notice his resolution in verse 8. He says, I will keep thy statutes. I will keep thy statutes. That is my firm resolution. That is my promise. I will keep thy statutes. David sets himself to keep those statutes. And yet, he knows that God must go with him if he is going to do that. I will keep thy statutes. And then he prays, Oh, forsake me not. Utterly. Don't leave me to myself. 
if God would leave him to himself, if God would forsake him utterly, then he could not keep God's statutes. Those two parts of the verse go hand in hand. His determination to keep God's statutes and his prayer to God for grace to keep those statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Go with me. Give to me the grace that I need. Work in me both to will and to do according to thy good pleasure. He wants to show his thankfulness, seeking the praise of God. He is determined to walk in God's statutes. As we examine ourselves, may it be evident that we see, may we see our sins and our sinfulness. May we see that God has provided salvation in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ has earned for us all the blessed, all the blessedness of salvation. And may we see then the evidence as well of a thankful heart that wants to walk in those ways because we want God to be praised And now if that describes us, we see our sins and our salvation then in Jesus Christ, our sins in ourselves, our salvation in Jesus Christ, and the thankfulness that God has worked in us, then the supper is for us, who have been, by God's grace, placed on the blessed way of God's children. May God grant to us that we would see that blessedness. Amen. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we are but weak creatures of the dust that could not take one step in that way without thy grace. Oh, forsake us not utterly. Rather, direct our ways. Forgive us where we have fallen short. Lead and guide us that we may give praise to thee. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalter number 415.